Welcome to another episode of the Scouting for Growth podcast, where we explore the intersection of technology, strategy, and human ingenuity in the world of business. I am Sabine van der Linden, and today we have a very special guest joining us. He's a dynamic leader and a thought leader, and often described as the insurance super nerd. Please welcome Franklin Manchester, the global insurance strategic advisor at SAS. Franklin leads the market strategy and engagement for insurance within the global financial services industry marketing team at SAS. Empowering and inspiring insurers in 75 countries, including 90% of the Fortune 500 insurers to make data-driven decisions. During our conversation, you will see Franklin mentioned 1,400 insurers globally within their customer portfolio. In this episode, we will dive deep into the top trends in insurance for 2024. We are going to explore the challenges and opportunities that lies ahead for insurers. We will discuss the role of technology, particularly generative AI technologies, in shaping the future of the insurance industry. We will also touch on the talent gap and how insurers can navigate this complex environment. So whether you are a senior executive in insurance looking to understand better how to deploy generative AI or simply someone interested in the future of the insurance industry, this episode is for you. And if you like this podcast, don't hesitate to download this episode, rate it and provide a comment. I am sure Franklin would welcome your invaluable support. So let's get started. Hi, Franklin. I'm so excited to have you today on Scouting for Growth. Thank you, Spain. It's great to be here. I appreciate you having me. So let's start with some personal journey question, Franklin. Mm-hmm. Could you share a little bit about your journey at SAS and uh, how your role has evolved to become the insurance super nerd. And by the way, I'm very proud to be the InsurTech queen, but you are the insurance super nerd. And how has this evolved over the years? Now, I appreciate the question. And uh, I, I too am enthused about being in your company. Um, you know, I got my start in insurance uh, because I was in a car accident actually more than two decades ago. Um, I'm not sure you knew that about me, but I uh, I found the process incredibly interesting and uh, ended up settling, handling my own claim uh, with uh, the carrier. And uh, at the time I was at University, Appalachian State University, uh, and they had an insurance program, risk management and insurance program. So uh, that's everything I needed to pursue a career in this uh, storied industry. And over the years, I've held a variety of roles uh, as an agent, as an underwriter, as an analyst, uh, people leader, consultant, sales and distribution. I couldn't get enough. I wanted to do a little bit of everything when it came to insurance, because at the root of my interest, my passion here, I believe in the promise that the industry uh, provides. Uh, you, we come 
at the moment when people need us the most. And so I nerd out over the things that insurers can do because of that promise of protection. It's very unique amongst financial services and just really careers in general. So that's uh, why uh, I do the things that I do. And uh, my role at SAS, you know, I've been at SAS for about two years now. Uh, I spent 20 years on the carrier side with multiple carriers and saw the enormous potential for SAS and other technology providers, curators of artificial intelligence to remake, reimagine, reinvent the insurance industry. You know, the idea that insurance exists is because a loss happens, right? So indemnification is that promise. But I believe there is a different promise, and that's the promise of prevention, pivoting from indemnification to a value proposition where we can help you before the loss occurs. And that, that will change the world. And I believe we can do that with the tools we have here, artificial intelligence. And my role at SAS allows me to contribute to that conversation. So that's yeah. fine. It's fascinating because, um, as you said, you have been an agent, you have been mm -hmm. an underwriter. I mean, I checked your profile on LinkedIn and I realized you've been, I think, 16 and a half to 17 years nationwide before coming into SaaS. Mm -hmm. and, and that is incredible knowledge before going into the software side of the equation to actually build the solutions so important and so relevant for our industry. And before going into the depth of our conversation, generative AI, AI, which everybody wants to hear about, I read on your profile and on the website, this statement around curiosity matters. What mm -hmm. does curiosity matters? You know, what does it mean to you? What does it mean to SaaS? You know, how do you influence the people you're working with and you want to bring in that AI journey mm -hmm. by, you know, applying the terms, those terms, curiosity matters? Yeah, uh, the, the journey is more important than the destination, right? Uh, one of the um, aspects of an underwriter's role, I am an underwriter, like I will always be an underwriter, um, even though I work at a technology organization, I'm an insurance underwriter. Okay. And when you're going through your uh, kind of knowledge building phase, you know, uh, of becoming an underwriter, you start to realize that the art of what we do is more important than the science. And that starts with curiosity. That starts with asking the question and imagining the possibilities, yeah. right? Uh, underwriters have long existed in the insurance community uh, because of their ability to make decisions, right? To evaluate arguments, to um, interrogate their assumptions. And you can't do that if you're not curious about the things that matter most. So I think that when SAS talks about curiosity matters, it goes very much hand in hand with a foundational role in the insurance community, right? Individuals, underwriters who are making decisions on behalf of these very large organizations who have billions of dollars at stake need individuals who appreciate the art of what we do more than the science. The science matters, uh, don't get me wrong, but curiosity matters speaks to me personally because of my personal experience and my affinity for the underwriting discipline. 
Yeah. Yeah. And uh, underwriting and risk assessment is becoming, I mean, has always been, but with AI coming into mm -hmm. play is, I think, going to be really interesting to see how that evolves in 2024. But what is a day in the life of Franklin, right? You're leading market strategy and engagement mm -hmm. for insurance within the global financial services industry marketing team within SAS. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Oh, that's that's a great question. And I feel like I'm on an adventure. I feel like I'm an explorer and every day is a new discovery, right? <laughs> so kind of combining this idea of curiosity matters with um, that adventure, that discovery. I get to have a lot of conversations with a lot of people in the global insurance community about did you know that this is going on? And I'm like, I had no idea. Like, <laughs> let's talk about that. So I'll give you a perfect example that happened just yesterday. I was talking with the telematics leader um, about distracted driving, right? And the state of telematics and what our telematics can do to enable that prevention discussion. And she was sharing with me that in this organization's own campaign for distracted driving, they discovered two things. One, they discovered that when they talk about distracted driving, the natural assumption is teenagers, inexperienced operators, those who have not uh, operated a vehicle, but the vast majority of those of us who drive that need help with that distracted driving are not teenagers. They are individuals who are looking okay, at their mobile phone. phone. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And they experienced a 10% reduction, the second thing that they learned, in distracted driving when they made simple recommendations to that vast majority of, we recommend you silence your phone while driving for these reasons. And that is a result. That is a result that gets exactly at the thing that brought me here, the pivoting from indemnification to prevention. And that's discovery. That's enriching, right? That gets you up in the morning that says, you know what? We can do these things. And I get to have those conversations every day. So in addition to the normal like research and, you know, reporting out and, you know, running the community calls and, you know, uh, talking about these things on our external channels, right? I get to have these conversations with these very talented, very passionate individuals. And what I'm finding is we are more alike than we are different. Whether I speak with somebody in Melbourne, Australia, who is an actuary, or I speak with a marketing leader in Canada, or uh, somebody from a regulatory perspective in the US, we all have the same goal in mind. We're just going about it a little bit of a different way. So it gives me hope when I pause and consider, we can do this as an insurance community. And I get to do that every day. And that is pretty cool, right? It is cool. Yeah. You know it is awesome because um, the reason why I think it's also cool, uh, Franklin, is because the world is changing. And the example you have just given us is like, for me, that test and learn approach, which is highly iterative, which, sorry to be that direct with you, probably come from the tech environment, but also from the startup environment where you are fine tuning, not going to, you know, you have your hand goal, but every step of the way it's an evaluation it's about the conversation and really mm -hmm. understanding how you are going to scale industrialize scales democratize whatever you are doing 
Mm-hmm. By really focusing on the user, the customer, the stakeholders' problems. And those of us who have the luxury to talk to people every week, every day, mm-hmm. we are in a, I think, in a unfavorable situation because we can process all this information to say, okay, how can we solve problems for our industry? And how can we yeah. leverage our capabilities, our strengths to actually solve major problems? Mm-hmm. And that is, I think that's one aspect of things we've changed this year or in the past few years, where the test and learn is becoming much more prevalent in the way we mm-hmm. solve problems. But also you mentioned, you know, being on the schools and looking at the um, the journey of the driver. For me, is that is using digital technology to actually look at the data and looking mm-hmm. really what the behavior of your customer users are. And that's where data and technology and AI becomes really prevalent because it allows us to be much more specific and accurate in the way mm-hmm. we make decisions. I completely agree. And I'll, I'll give you maybe a, um, a complimentary perspective when yeah. we think about telematics and driving behavior, right? We, we do focus on the driver's behavior, like car braking, hard acceleration, nighttime driving, idle time, distracted driving, that type mm-hmm. of thing. There's another aspect of telematics that we can infuse into our analytics capabilities in that test and learn, and that's geospatial data, right? So what are the points actually on a road or in a geography that tend to cause events, right? So we, there, are, there are multiple factors we need to talk about. We have the driver who's operating the vehicle, but that vehicle is being operated on a road. So how do different driver profiles uh, present in, say, areas where there are steep inclines or uh, harsh curves, right? And how do those driver profiles respond to that? So there is a complementary aspect to that analytical conversation that we should explore and say, okay, uh, let's make recommendations or look at risk models uh, for propensity for loss, not just with driver profiles, but how those driver profiles show up in a particular geography, in a section of road or a different type of vehicle yeah. or in different weather conditions, right? So there are external factors that we need to fuse into that analytical journey as well in that test and learn environment. Yeah, you know, I'm listening to what you are saying and you know, we are going into winter, Christmas, and mm-hmm. in Europe, we already have a lot of snow, actually. If you go to Sweden, some, you know, we, we could see in the news cars, you know, swirling around and not even being able to go to their destination. So that is where this type of data becomes critical to mm-hmm. actually protect, prevent, as you were saying, prevent, predict, um, and enable people to apply the right behavior in any relevant situations. Yeah. So I want to go into the trends now. Yes. Actually, um, Franklin, I want to know what are your 2024 trends? Because, you know, this is what people are looking for now uh, this month and uh, so that they can make better decision in 2024. Mm -hmm. So what are your key uh, trends? You know, what do you think are the challenges our industry face? What are the opportunities you foresee for 2024? Yeah, So uh, it is a trend season, right? And uh, shocker, my number one trend for 2024 is what I call AI overload. Uh uh, You know, it's named appropriately because there's so many choices out there. Like everyone has a large language model. Everyone has a Gen AI solution. And it is becoming 
very noisy and difficult to discern which of these tools I should be using and in which areas of my business. Yeah. So um, just keeping it very simple with large language models and generative AI, uh, the McKinsey statistic that we've shared a couple of times now have been uh, 50 to 70 billion in value for the insurance industry in generative AI. And this is going to show up in areas like marketing, customer service, distribution. And what I would offer as kind of counsel or guidance and how we adopt these tools, make a list of the things that you cannot and will not do as an organization, right? These are areas where we've identified downside risk mm -hmm. that we are not willing to use large language models or generative AI uh, for these reasons. My number one reason is data privacy. Yeah. Do not feed any data into that model that you want compromised. Uh, to quote one of my colleagues, be insanely protective about of the information. Data. Yeah, that you feed into the large language models. So eliminate the things you won't do. And then in that same kind of test and learn, here are conceptually the things that we believe will add value that have low risk for us. And I'll pull in a subtrend into this conversation of what I call claims automation or the automation column, mm -hmm. right? So take your lowest value claims that have the lowest downside risk. Think about like roadside assistance, towing and labor, uh, even to a certain extent, like non-injury claims. Let's feed those into those automation journeys and lift with your large language model, the information that your adjusters need for the highest repetitive tasks, okay. right? Inform and hey, here's the things that you need to know, right? That happen most frequently, highly repetitive tasks, manual tasks, high touch, uh, excuse me, low frequency, low uh, severity, high frequency touch activities, and use those for your Gen I use cases, right? So in the event you get it wrong or there is a hallucination with uh, your large language model, your generative AI solution, it's okay, right? Your roadside assistance claims are going to be pretty frequent, especially given, you know, the season that we're moving into. But if you get it wrong, it's probably not that big of a deal. At most, it's a minor inconvenience. And those are the use cases we need to explore first for the very real business reason of just reducing cost in your operating model, right? Everyone is struggling with cost. Everyone is struggling with inflationary pressures. Expenses are real. And that's where we see those AI use cases, which generative AI showing up first in that claims automation process. If an insurer is not trying to figure out how to automate their claims journey for those uh, low risk claims using generative AI, they are going to miss out. Those are uh, yeah. areas where we need to explore further uh, so, to unlock that value. One thing which come to mind, and I think everybody will want to hear your definition. I would love for mm -hmm. you to explain to us what hallucination is, because you know what? I was presenting at Reuters last week. Mm -hmm. I was one of their pundits. And what we realized is that a lot of people didn't know what hallucination is. The second question I have for you, still linked to it, what is the difference between using chat, GPT, so let's say OpenAI chat, right? And the platform, because I have both, right? I have chat, OpenAI for me to play around, no personal data 
put onto it, but then also have the platform that my team uses where mm -hmm. they are testing questions, testing prompts to really mm -hmm. understand how the technology works. And we often do that for our insurance partners. Mm -hmm. Tell us what, yeah, what are absolutely. all this stuff we need to understand there? <laughs> yeah, um, I'm a big fan of storytelling. So I'm going to tell you a story to answer that first part of your question. Awesome. So hallucinations are a feature. Okay. And every human is a little bit of a black box. So why do we do the things that we do? Why do we give the answers that we give? Um, why do we make certain decisions? So with large language models that are trained on billions of parameters, it is uh, uh, unfair to think that hallucinations will not happen for large language models because humans have hallucinations too, right? And every 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 person is a little bit of a black box. We do certain things and we ourselves sometimes don't always know why. So hallucinations, very simply, you get an answer that doesn't make sense. Okay, that's a non-technical definition, but how often have you been talking to a colleague and you get an answer from them that doesn't quite make sense? And we are very, very forgiving in that situation, right? We are harshly unforgiving of large language models that all of a sudden spew out an answer that don't make sense. So start thinking about hallucinations as a feature. And that is an indication that I may need to retrain this model, right? My large language model might need a day off. You know what? Take the rest of the afternoon off. It's very clear you're a little overworked. We're just going to get back and retrain you. And we're going to try this again tomorrow. Let's think about it like that. But from a platform perspective, how we use large language models, prompts, et cetera, you know, the uh, chat GPTs, uh, the Gemini ones, the dollies, et cetera, right? Not every large language model is going to be as well-trained on as many parameters. So when I think about large language model agnostic, mm -hmm. okay, think about it in the same way we think about cloud agnostic. What large language model do you want to use for certain tasks and why? They are going to have different outcomes. They're going to have different features because using that AI as a trusted coworker example, you're going to have solutions that do a little bit better with different workflows and tasks and others. And that's where we reinfuse that test and learn type of environment uh, within your organization. You might find that one large language model solution is a little bit better for certain workflows than others. And you might find in experiencing those solutions, you know what, um, maybe we take this opportunity to retool our approach with work processes. So I think that in the spirit of fairness, right, uh, ChatGPT did a great job in introducing us to a generational technology, no pun intended, right? And it's up to us to Imagine the art of the possible. Curiosity matters with those large language models in that test and learn type of environment. Yeah. That is critical, right? To play with it and then making mm -hmm. sure there is a human in the loop because that's the only way you can actually identify the yeah. hallucination. And, um, you know, as you were highlighting, you know, how do we, you know, is it possible today to use your own data your own company data when you use those models yes uh so that brings a, to the second trend i want to talk about that's data or else right 
from a fundamental perspective, data is the start and stop of the conversation. If you do not have good data governance, good data lineage, good data um, protection in your organization, you cannot do AI. You should not do AI, frankly. And uh, I know it's a little bit maybe of a boring conversation when we talk about uh, data management, but using a sports example and referring to uh, the late Kobe Bryant, uh, I heard a story about a reporter who wanted to interview him and Kobe said, okay, meet me at the gym at 4 a.m. tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And for hours, uh, this reporter watched Kobe practice fundamentals, right? Uh, drills that very pedestrian basketball players would be, would be doing, practicing, right? And the reporter just kind of asked after Kobe was done, uh, you're the best player in the world. Why are you doing these very simple drills? And Kobe answered that question with, well, it's because I do these very simple drills that I am the best player in the world. And we need to use that as an example to talk about data or else. You need to infuse in your organization data practitioners and practices that respect the outcomes associated with using data. When we talk about artificial intelligence, uh, autonomous and algorithmic systems, right? Uh, it's important that we understand the downside risk when we infuse our data into these AI. And as we have good data practices and we use data, which is the fuel for artificial intelligence uh, to execute these solutions, good data fundamentals will lead to better outcomes with artificial intelligence. So we're being overloaded with AI uh, solutions. You can take um, solace in the fact that if your organization has good data practices to begin with, it will lead to better outcomes with AI. And that is fundamental and key to 2024. Let's not lose the fundamentals, right, that got us here in the first place. And again, to requote my coworker, be insanely protective of your data, right? Let's start with the data fundamentals and all the other things will fall into place. That's cool. Um, and as I'm listening to to what you are saying, actually, uh, Franklin, around, you know, getting to really understand how things works is its fundamental mm -hmm. purpose of mine as well. You know, when I move from big corporate to building my own businesses, what I realize is it's fine. You can recruit people. But if you do not know how some of those new technology works, there is mm -hmm. no way you can have the right expectations from them. So you have to go back to square one. And I think we are in the age where we have to learn to go back to square one and feel actually enough humility to not think that we are beyond relearning mm -hmm. how to do a lot of the things because now we are in the digitalization world and the things we thought we knew how to do is completely changing. Yeah. One thing which come to mind is Franklin, you know, I'm sure it has been the same in the United States, you know, high interest rate, high inflation impacting insurance. How does that play, do you think, in 2024? Yeah, um, one of the things, again, getting back to square one, um, that we cannot allow our hubris, uh, our hubris to miss is the fact that insurers have massive investment portfolios, right? And uh, when we see things like Silicon Valley Bank collapsing or um, interest rate risk, uh, market volatility, 
we we have to understand and connect the dots that insurers who have those billions of billions of dollars of premium invested are exposed to those same risks and exposed mm -hmm. to the same inflationary pressures. Yeah. And in my top five, um, I talk about life insurers, right? Um, and the trend is called get a life. You, get you can life. Kind of see my like my personality come out when I'm naming these <laughs> trends. Yeah. Um, and one of the things within that trend uh, that I think is important for us to realize is the commercial real estate doom loop that's going on. And uh, the fact that insurers, life insurers, invest in commercial real estate. And because of the market conditions that we see ourselves in, uh, commercial real estate is suffering. And uh, insurers are exposed to these type of market conditions. And again, that creates downside risk for them. So it, it is not a sexy solution to be talking about, okay, how do we evaluate uh, credit risk in our portfolios? How do we analyze default probabilities? Um, and for life insurers, that is a specific aspect of the conversation. I want us to start having more because of the effects of COVID. People became very aware of their risk during COVID. And as a result, we saw an increase in life insurance offerings, right? I think the statistic was in 2021, payments increased globally uh, by 15%, which is a massive amount. And COVID created a $15 trillion opportunity for life expectancy for life insurers. If we're going to take advantage of that, we need to consider the fact that life insurers are offering a contract for life. For life. And the stability of their investment portfolios is critical. So the tools that we use to evaluate those portfolios, they need to evolve as well. So I think that for life insurers specifically within the top five trends that I have, um, they are uh, uh, customers that deserve a little bit more care and attention in these volatile environments because volatility leads to instability. And I want us to be able to have that really... Um, important conversation from a life perspective uh, to help fill that protection gap for consumers, individuals who are not taking advantage of life insurers products today. Yeah, I love this quote from you, Franklin. Volatility leads to instability. And um, it's critical when you look at some of the numbers around the protection gap, you know, mm -hmm. the $1.8 trillion protection gap that we see often mention this is people who are underserved but also underinsured low saving poor investment poor understanding as to how the economics works and so being able to design and educate that segment around the value mm -hmm. of those products is critical and we tend to pay attention more to those things in time of downfalls than in times of, I guess, successful and happy times, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I what one of the sad truths about the protection gap. Uh, one is growing, um, but two, uh, it is further marginalizing already marginalized populations, yeah. and life insurance products can help um, in instances of generational inequality. Mm -hmm stop that from happening. So the example I use is um, a single income family 
uh, where one of the adults or maybe the only adult works. And if the income from that individual um, is gone because of an event where they lose their life in an accident or something along those lines, life insurance would help keep that family on the track from that generational instability rather than this perpetuation that tends to happen when those events do happen. So I think there's a truth about that uh, uh, protection gap that we don't talk about enough, in my opinion, that products and services like ins life insurance can help. Um, and if I can, I want to pivot to another trend that I'm calling yeah. the dark side. Um, uh, uh, we, we see Swiss Re reporting that digitalization can save insurers three to eight points on loss ratio. And one of the things I love about digitalization, if you have a mobile phone, which is becoming ubiquitous in today's Absolutely. global community, you can secure these financial products, right? So there's a delivery mechanism there and there's value for insurers. We should invest in these digitalization technologies. One of the things that I want us to talk about though, within that digitalization is the dark side of digital and that's fraud as a service. So I have a prediction here for you, right? I have no doubt. 2024, fraud as a service is gonna to grow to hundred billion dollars in 2025. Right now it's around 20 to 40 billion by one estimate by Reuters, but tools that infuse AI into our processes, bad actors will use. Absolutely. So two of the areas that I want us to be thoughtful of are application fraud and account takeover. It is becoming easier and easier for someone's identity to be usurped by a bad actor and not necessarily yeah. end user, but individuals who know how to use these tools, fraud as a service, right? No um, doubt. Everything yeah. about everyone is online now, right? It's uh, easier to get passwords. It's easier to get the answers to those security questions. Yeah, and because they're over there, right? I mean, you don't even realize it's easy to find people's date of birth and you know mm -hmm. email addresses. I mean, one of the recommendations I always have is make sure you have probably five email addresses, different, yep. read them, you know, and, and play mm -hmm. with them. Um, but then you also have what we call these Ubico keys, um, which are, you know, little keys you can have also on your on your computer. So here is a Ubico key, um, mm -hmm. which somebody from Google said, to me, just get them, just put them everywhere. Um, so, you know, your authentication, all these becomes critical um, because that's the way you protect yourself. But the data is out there. The key thing is your name, you know, your emails, your date of birth, your mobile out there. So how do you protect yourself? Yeah. And so it's very yeah. critical to understand other methods of protection, probably when you are socially active like you and I. Yeah, I, I uh, harbor no misgivings that uh, if somebody wanted to know everything there was about me, they could do it pretty easily, right? And that's where things like sentiment analysis come into play um, and considering the, the full journey of a customer. So when I think about something like account takeover or application fraud, it's checkmate in three, right? It moves down that insurance equation where certain things might happen. So it could be as simple as like a policy has been secured. I want to make a change to it and I want to make a claim, right? So it's a multi-step journey as well. Yeah. And I, I think we need to talk about soft fraud and that as well, right? So it's not just hard fraud, it's 
also uh, the other 90% of premium dollars uh, that are exposed to soft fraud. So when we think about the digital dark side and uh, sentiment analysis and customer journeys, we need to appreciate the fact that every insurer has a digital platform to interface with customers. And it's not going to just be about that hard fraud. It's also going to be about very simple things as uh, policy attributes that are misrepresented, not grossly misrepresented or material misrepresented, but exaggerated in a way that does lead to that $18 billion in lost premium that we see for things like miles driven, garaging addresses, drivers, that type of thing. Uh, that is a less dark side of digital that we need to appreciate as well. Yeah, I, I get that. You know, you already mentioned um, the key trend around digitalization, right? Looking at your business model, your operating model and your processes and how you are going to digitize those to drive more unique and customer-centric experiences. Digital transformation is going to be key in 2024. It's not going to stop and insurers need to pay more attention to it because their customers, whether they are consumer like us or big corporations, will look into it as well. The, how do you see this trend evolving further as you look at your next trends, actually, uh, Franklin? Yeah, and rounding out the top five, uh, I have a, a title for a trend called Destroyers to Sustaining Value. Um, it's a little bit of an inside joke here at SAS because it's the sequel to uh, Destroyers of Value. Um, uh -huh. uh, when we do our trends annually, we like to revisit what are the things that we got right? What are the things that we got wrong? Yeah. And um, sustaining value is really critical for 2024 and beyond. So the sequel to Destroyers, Destroyers 2 here, it ties to digital because digitalization will add value, right? And um, tying back to our earlier discussion around uh, risk prevention, I'll quote Ben Franklin, uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And that quote is 300 years old from uh, the Philadelphia Contribution Ship, which is an insurance organization that Ben Franklin helped found in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, uh, to address fire, to address the risk of loss by fire. And so, when we think about adding value, right? When we think about the current situation that we find ourselves in, it's not enough to reduce costs. It's not enough to uh, enhance our digitalization journey, uh, invest in AI tools. We have to start thinking about how we're gonna sustain value in the long run. And the sobering fact is 2023 has been the deadliest year since 2010 when it comes to global fatalities associated with weather events, catastrophic loss, um, wildfires, earthquakes. And I believe that the insurance industry has the analytical capabilities, the wherewithal, the expertise to get us in front of these trends that we're seeing with loss of life, destruction of value. Uh, what we said in the prequel was if nothing changed in 2022, Going into 2023, the results we would see would be a bloodbath. And that that is true. I mean, this uh, year has uh, hit 88 billion. My. Uh, that's uh, catastrophe losses when you're not even done, right? So if we're thinking about insurers' role in sustaining value, 
addressing climate risk, um, you know, promoting preventative uh, um, analytics. Uh, there is an area of value that we have here that insurers can unlock. Um, it's real-time data. It's things like uses-based insurance programs. Uh, it's the internet of things, pulling in sensory information, but it's also pursuing novel data sources like satellite imagery, um, uh, weather information, public data. Um, so when I think about how we can address the 700% increase in cat losses, uh, it's getting folks and communities ahead of uh, these trends, these storms, these costly events before we experience uh, that loss of life or that destruction of property. Um, and that kind of rounds out my top five for insurance trends. I know we're kind of getting at time. There are other areas that um, I'm happy to talk about, but I, that's kind of the core of what we're yeah, looking at. Absolutely. But, you know, it's interesting because that leads me to, you know, the role of technology and data and insurance, right? You have mentioned so many important trends which are affecting life and health as well as PNC. And we know that we are suffering from a talent gap in the insurance industry. Uh, and that is becoming a growing concern because most of the conversation I have with insurers is a talent war, this talent gap. You know, how do we get the talent to actually get the job done? And if you find the talent, it's actually extremely expensive at the moment, even though, mm -hmm. I mean, because it's scarce. So how do you see technology, partly AI, helping bridge this gap? So our theme that we talk about here is using um, artificial intelligence as a trusted coworker and infusing uh, these powerful tools and capabilities into uh, the talent that are uh, already present within insurers' capabilities. So um, the data science is no longer for people who code. Yes. It, quickly moving into this area of I can get um, a workbench type of tool into the hands of someone who, again, understands the art of what we do, uh, more uh, not necessarily just the science, and asks the right questions, empowering themselves, being curious. So uh, the quote uh, that we see is, um, in five years, there will be no more programmers. Right, uh, we can use generative AI to generate code, uh, to write that programming language for us, and ask the question that we want uh, to get out of our analytics platforms. That's the last mile challenge that we are committed to solving. How do we uh, use things like large language models, uh, other forms of generative AI like synthetic data or digital twins, Yeah. right? and infuse our analytical capabilities into the work processes that our individual are already capable of doing. So I'll use, um, you know, again, a claims example, right? It's more important than an adjuster during an investigation ask the right question than be able to program it to extract the analytics out of the data than it is to run that investigation, right? I want to use my adjuster's talent to get into those high complexity claims, right? To infuse what they do with those large language models. And we are getting there, right? Workbenching, uh, workbenching tools are uh, the next step in these analytical capabilities. 
And if I remove those barriers from those tools by saying, you know what, you can use this tool without having to program. You just have to ask the question that's on your mind. That is Mecca. And for somebody who used to be an analyst, right, who mm -hmm. had to design those analytics by hand, um, that is a game changer. That is that is no longer a barrier to entry. And now I can use real-time analytics in real time, which is an amazing part of this journey that we're on in the insurance community to be a part of. Can you share? I mean, you know, as you said, we are, you know, gradually arriving at the end of our conversation, but it would be super helpful to understand how SaaS and mm -hmm. the capabilities you are using to change the life of underwriters, actuaries, insurers in general. Yeah. What are they, you know, how do they work? Give us some examples. Yeah, so uh, we're the OG when it comes to insurance analytics. Um, you know, 50 years ago, uh, we started working with State Farm Insurance, uh, the largest insurer in the U.S., who is using SaaS for the past five decades. So we've got some street cred because we've been around the block several times, and we support 1,400 insurers globally today, and we're in 90% of the global Fortune 500. 1,400, so right? Let's repeat that number. 1,400, 1,400 yeah. globally. And we are data agnostic, okay? So whatever data management capabilities are, we can help you. We're cloud agnostic, whether you're using SaaS Cloud, uh, Microsoft, uh, Google, Amazon, doesn't matter. Uh, but we're also large language model agnostic. Yeah. And when we think about um, uh, orchestration, optimization, uh, it's not just the experience that we have, it is where we are taking ourselves on this journey. Uh, we have risk capabilities, fraud capabilities, customer intelligence capabilities. But most importantly, what I, I want to make sure people uh, take away from this conversation, I believe that people want to work with good people. Absolutely. At the end of the day, what people is what matters. It's what got me into this business, right? Insurance is a noble profession that puts people first. And I believe that. And I am blessed and grateful to be working with people in the insurance community here at SAS who share that same belief. There's a reason I left my two-decade career to come here, right? Because there are good people here who believe in the promise of protection that insurers can bring. So I think the number one reason why we should uh, be looking at SAS, why insurers should be looking at SAS is because of the people. It's not just the technology. The technology should get us to the good life, right? Get us to the point where it is enriching our day-to-day. -day. Uh, more importantly, it is about the people we work with who believe in the same things that insurers believe in. So it's not just a shallow promise. It's not just a, hey, here's the headline on our website. It's not just a, hey, the powerful analytics and cloud-native artificial intelligence. It's the folks here that I work with every day that are helping us uh, pivot that value proposition. So let's find the right data. Let's identify the right technology so that we can actually lead happy lives. So Franklin, what would be your key last minute takeaways? What would you like insurance companies, you know, insurance executives, brokers, participants within our market to remember when they listen to this conversation? So billions of people around the globe trust our industry 
to protect what matters most to them. And I believe that insurers and their insurance community have a critical role to play in addressing the risks that are evolving and coming and can help enrich billions more lives with artificial intelligence. And we can work together to do it, right? I think that we are at an inflection point in our industry where the value proposition of insurance can and will change. And we have the power and capability to do it. So if you're listening to this, I want to work with you to make that happen because I believe we can do it. And I know that's a big, bold statement, but why not? Why not us? Why not now? We see the possibility with artificial intelligence. So let's go out and do it and dream the dream of preventative analytics and enriching the lives and livelihoods of the people who trust us with what matters most to them. Lovely a statement. And I want to say that People will be able to find your details, you know, in the notes of these conversations. But I will ask you, for those who want to listen to it, where can people find you, Franklin? Yeah. So I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, you'll be able to notice it's me because there is a black and white photo of me smiling very big on LinkedIn. So uh, <laughs> please reach out. We'd love to connect. Uh, also, if you're curious about SaaS, you can go to sas.com backslash insurance and see all the artificial intelligence solutions and history that we have. Uh, I'm also on Twitter. Uh, I'm happy to connect on Twitter. I do um, tend to try and be more interesting on Twitter. So I would say my Twitter account is maybe 50% uh, business and 50% personal. Um, I am trying to... Uh, uh, drag several Twitter handles into a conversation about English breakfast uh, oh. that, you know, uh, has been has been interesting, at least to me. <laughs> That's super cool. That's super cool. Yeah. So I will definitely um, connect with you on Twitter. I did notice this morning when I was looking at all your social um, and I would recommend everybody to connect with you on LinkedIn and on Twitter, but LinkedIn is a, a platform of business. So I'm sure we'll find a lot of people wanting to find out a bit more about you there. Franklin, I want to thank you so much for joining me on Scouting for Growth. I cannot wait um, to hear what people think about this conversation. And hopefully we are going to get some amazing engagement about the trends that we are seeing for 2024. So thank you, Franklin. Thank you, Sabine. I appreciate you. If you like this podcast, subscribe now, share with your friends, and if you enjoyed it, please give it a five-star review. Also, if you want to cover any specific subject with me, contact me on Instagram under Subin Vidal Officials or LinkedIn under Sabine van der Linden. Thank you.